This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Right away, right away, we had immediate positive results, not just from our yield. You know, we yielded 8% more that very first batch of beer we did. But the the, the quality uh, improvement on that beer was just amazing. This week on the show, optimizing hot side hops with extracts. My name is Alec Mull. And I'm the Vice President of Brewing Operations at Founders Brewing Company. I've been in the brewing industry since 1996 in various roles. I've been with Founders since 2006, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Founders is known for using a lot of hop extract in the brew house. When and how did that all come about? It was really the hop extract use at Founders really was an invention out of necessity. We had a really popular double IPA that we were brewing called Double Trouble, and we were having some significant challenges making this beer. Um, just just the, the the whirlpool was you know probably not as wide as it needed to be to really effectively get uh, an adequate yield out of a double IPA. So we had a good friend Chris German who suggested that we use some extract, and uh, um, you know we're a little bit of a purist. I've been brewing a long time. I've used extract before, but you know, I was probably a little naive and, but we decided to use it and we went ahead and brewed with it. And right away, right away, we had immediate positive results, not just from our yield. You know, we yielded 8% more that very first batch of beer we did, but the, the, the quality uh, improvement on that beer was just amazing. It became brilliant. All of a sudden the hop character was really noticeable, really bright. And, uh, and, you know, of course we were able to make a lot more beer out of the same, uh, same ingredients and same time. And it was just a win-win. And then it's just kind of one of those epiphany moments where you're just like, wow, we need to do more of this. So we've started on a journey of evaluating where uh, is appropriate and, and quality improvements and even parameters of processing we've, we've looked at and seen some of the impacts there, or looked at some of the impacts that some of the processing parameter adjustments could, could have. So it's been a long journey and it all started with double trouble. And how long ago was that when you did your first extract batch? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I think it was like 2013, maybe 2014. Okay. 
Cool. I'd have and to go back. Just, uh, just to be clear, we're talking about CO2 extract here, right? When we're not talking yes, about... Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. We've, we've done some ethanol extract as well um, because, uh, well, there's only one plant uh, in the world that, that can make commercially available hop, ethanol hop extract. But no, this is all super critical fluid extraction with CO2. Okay, great. Well, let's, um, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, talk about what's, what's actually in CO2 extract. Well, like uh, the, the, the suppliers of this can give you all kinds of information, but you know, one of the things I like to say in a nutshell is it's, it's most of the good things separated from most of the bad things. You know, it contains your alpha acids, your beta acids, your essential oils, and depending on the pressure of extraction and of course the varietals, you start to get some hard resins and some waxes. Uh, and then of course there's a little bit of moisture in there, but it's, but it's basically, you know, the oils, the oil fraction removed from the vegetative material material of the hop. All right, good stuff. Well, let's flash back to episode 38, where Carl Van Evenhoven gave us a brief overview of that process. Hello, this is Carl. Hey, Carl, this is John Bryce calling from the MBAA. How's it going? Good, John. Thanks for calling. I'm calling to ask you a favor. I'm hoping that maybe you could explain supercritical CO2 extraction to our listeners. Would, would you be willing to do that? Uh, sure, I can do that. Uh, should probably start with uh, what the heck is supercritical, huh? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, for CO2, um, it's basically a critical point for every fluid. And for CO2, it's 88 degrees Fahrenheit and 1,070 PSI. So uh, what we do in the process is we take hot pellets and... Uh, run supercritical CO2 through those pellets above that critical point. Um, the CO2 is under quite high pressure, but it's a pretty gentle temperature. Um, and it just so happens that all the uh, good resins and hops, uh, the alpha, the beta, and the hop oils, are soluble in supercritical CO2. So when we pass that through the pellet, what you get is a resulting pure resin hop extract that uh, basically has the consistency of honey. Um, and we put that in cans and drums. And you can use that hop extract just like you would uh, a hop pellet on the hot side of the brewing process. You take sort of an untraditional approach to how extract is used in the brew house. Talk about that. Yeah, sure. No, I think historically, you know, you've seen you've seen cans labeled KAA, you know, kettle alpha extract, excuse me, KAE. And and historically, of course, it's been a bitter charge and it's a no brainer for that. It's a really useful spot for that. Um, but we found the varietal impact is significant when used at other spots in the boils. And we still only use this hop, hot side. We don't use it anywhere else. Uh, but we've really noticed that you can you get the varietal impact at 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 15 minutes. We've gone as low as 10 minutes. We've done some whirlpool trials as well. But historically, you know, the 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 alpha impact alone, you're if you're looking at it from that perspective, you're kind of missing some potential opportunities for you, especially as some of these hop forward beers we like to make. And, and, and the more hops you like to put in your beer, the more value that you can get by switching over to some of these extracts. And I think it's important. I'm going to add this too, John, is that, you know, we, we use pellets in every single batch of beer that we make. So we do not use exclusively extract. There's something very important um, about T90s in particular, but pellets uh, in your beer that are, it's really, really important from sensory and i think the biotransformation some of those things we're all learning about now uh and have yet to learn some more of course are important so we do use pellets all the time 
every batch of beer has pellets. We've just found that you can use extracts in lar- up to large quantities positively in various points of the boil. Talk a little bit more about why you don't use them so much in the Whirlpool. Are you talking about just because you don't get the um, efficiency of getting the alphas out of them, or is there some other reason? No, I think we, we've all looked at these from an alpha perspective historically. As a matter of fact, when you buy them, you know, they're labeled and, and filled and, and uh, packaged in grams of alpha or kilograms of alpha, very specific amounts of alpha. And we might be missing the point. Uh, there's a lot of other oils in there and there's a lot of terpenes in there and a lot of things in there that are other than alphas, but we kind of look at it as alpha. So I think that there's a lot for us to learn still about what we really should be adding from an extract perspective to get the desired results. The Whirlpool charge though, sensory is just, we'd love to switch over to extract in these cases because a lot of these beers that we make, really we bomb the Whirlpool with hops and we've found that they just don't get the same sensory appreciation. So um, something about the Whirlpool, and we've got to do a little more research on why we're not getting that in the Whirlpool. Is it a mixing thing? Is it a time thing? We're not really sure. So we don't we don't use them. We've subsidized Whirlpool charges with extract to some success, but we've not been successful in just downright replacing the Whirlpool charge with extract. So, uh, I, I mean, we have a lot to learn there still. So I, I'm, I'm still a little bit naive about it. We'll get into all of the advantages that come along with extracts in a bit, but one of the obvious benefits that you've already talked about is increased wort yield to the fermenter. Talk about what you've actually experienced there. Give us some real numbers. Okay. Yeah, this is good. I get a lot of requests for data on this because I think as a brewer, you're really kind of like, hey, what kind of yields will I expect? And and it's really directly dependent on, of course, your brew house design first and foremost, um, but of course, what you're replacing. So if you have a, a double IPA is a great example. If, if you've got a batch of beer that you're putting two, you know, up to two bar- pounds per barrel, hot side that is, you know, we experienced, I'm going to use back that double trouble is about 8% more beer. And I don't want to say just in the fermenter because there's also yield benefits between the fermenter and the BBT, the bright beer tank that you you don't want to forget about also. And I talk a little bit about that in our experience with Centennial IPA, but I I do have to say that our data quantity in these trials is is actually kind of limited. And there's a reason for that. So when we kind of made the switch, we, we didn't do it really slowly. Um, we, we have increased it over the years, but it was really like just throttle down. We really put the hammer down and made some wholesale changes very quickly. So we don't have that much data. As a matter of fact, for, for this, uh, my very first lecture I gave on this, I asked our team to, we've got to go through and do some all pellet batches and some all extract batches, and we got to do the math and, and there was some pushback on that. And the reason why is that we've been so, we've been so convinced of the quality benefits that the team was kind of upset that they wanted, <laughs> that I want them to make a beer with just pellets. When we, we knew from our experience that we were going to get less beer, we probably weren't going to like it quite as much in sensory. Why would we do this? This is just <laughs> silly. So I only have the anecdotal experience. Now we did do the Centennial IPA, which I referenced in this particular, um, this particular uh, presentation. And I, I, I can say that that beer has got, if I remember correctly, just under we replaced just under one pound per barrel of pellets with equivalent grams of alpha extract. So, and that that was about a 4% yield, if I remember correctly, almost 5% yield. Let's see here. I think I even have that written down. Um, 
let's see, we yielded on a 300 barrel batch of beer. We just did one turn on our 300 barrel brew house and I referenced it, but of that 300 barrel batch of beer that we did with all extract yielded 7.4 more barrels of beer um, into the BBT when we did that replacement. So we, we, we had the double trouble, we have the centennial, and then when we switched over from the pellets, we, we have that. And occasionally we'll have a delivery issue where we'll use you know some pellets to replace extract. And it's just kind of one of those things that the team doesn't really like to, to do to gather that information. So I got I to gotta plead, um, I don't want to say ignorant, but I got to say I'm a little bit lazy on being able to provide all the data that would make you go ahead and convince. So I've got to pontificate a little bit and just say, get on my soapbox. You will experience benefits. You do got to watch your knockout. You got to sit there at that whirlpool, especially if you have automated brew house and you have delay time set, for example, um, for, for pellets, you're going to watch that. And you're going to, that delay time is going to increase. You're going to get more, you're going to get more wear out of that thing. I guarantee you. And I, I talk about it a little bit and I extrapolated. It. it is a little bit linear. Um, basically, you know, I have a slide in here and it's a very rudimentary slide based on just a few data points but you know basically if you're taking about a pump or barrel out you're going to get approximately four percent more beer into the bbt it is important to talk about the bbt here and not just the fermenter it's easy to say hey i got more beer in the fermenter how much do you get in the bright beer tank because you're going to get a brighter fermentation you're going to have less solids in the fermenter especially if you're using a lot of hops for example you've got a, a ton of hops you're putting in there and you're hoping to get them all out in the true pile but some of those make it in the fermenter and of course the more you have in the fermenter the more you have to remove whether it's through filtration or, or through a centrifuge so we found that that that's the data that i have and we found that there's still tremendous benefits from, from using extract from a yield perspective and that's probably the primary benefit let's continue talking about some of the other benefits um we talked about yield but obviously there's a lot of other ones too so tell us what else has been sort of the biggest upside for you at founders gosh there's so many you can use these as flavor charges, as aroma charges. They, they are perfectly suitable for that. Um, if you've got high quality hops, which is what we focus on, all our extract, we don't buy we don't buy extract on the market. We buy selected hops that we turn into extract. So that's that's an important thing too. Um, but you've got, you know, we, we've had, we make a, a bunch of foamy beers. You know, we've got, we, we actually at Founders don't have a mash conversion vessel. We drop our mash in a lauder ton, which is a whole separate topic that I could talk about for hours, but we do have some foam issues for example when we make beers uh at our facility and the 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 extracts helps with that um you do get a little better utilization i would say from a recipe design perspective you should probably just consider them equal but you're going to bump up say one or two percent more utilization so there's some benefits there Uh, we talked about increased yield we talked about brighter beer um, but the but a big important factor especially as a brewery who's getting larger and larger inventory is kind of hard to manage and of course we as a brewer it's really really important that you use the best raw materials that you possibly can to make beer and fresh hops make better beer than than old hops at least for us for example um but we want to maintain that hop quality and you know what if you're if you're a i love sierra nevada the best brewer on the planet but i'm amazed that how they make beer so good with with cones um, with flowers because they they do stale pretty quick you know compared to pellets for example and you can see that with hsi data and of course as soon as you get into extract it's very very stable i mean i i've even heard it'll outlast the can that it's in um but i say over 10 years especially if you can 
you can store it cold. So that's a huge benefit, especially as you get larger is inventory maintenance. You can maintain the quality of those hops for a very long period of time. This is also another one that's important, nitrogen. Um, so this this eliminates nitrates in those hops. You know, we all like green hops and I'm not really sure that green hops are, are the best for making beer. Um, I'm not saying they should be brown or red, but I also know that green is most likely nitrogen and, and those aren't necessarily um, beneficial in your beer as a matter of fact dan carey you know brought this up to the hop quality group some years ago about nitrates in our in our hops and are we concerned about that well guess what an extract they're not there um and then of course there's pesticide potential and you know our hop growers and partners are all doing a good job they have mrl so this is probably not a big concern but they are not carried over in an extract so that's that's an um, important benefit we talked about the longevity but another big one is storage and shipping again this is important for us at founders because we have a lot of expense that's that's maintained you know hops come out you'll call it once a year you got this massive amount of hops you got to store and guess what that's really really expensive and shipping is really really expensive every year it goes by it gets more expensive so you've got about a three to 3.5 3.5 to 1 um, less storage space is required for extracts, and they're not required to be step, uh, stored cold. Our, our hop extracts, we do have some inventory positions, but we're still like the longest we've ever had an extract in, in, in uh, inventory is, is three years. So we're using them still pretty fast. You don't have to store them cold. They cost less to ship. They're easier to handle. There's just so many benefits. I could probably keep going on and on. Coming up. Nobody could tell me if it was going to be an important factor because they hadn't really looked at it like this because nobody had historically looked at these hop extracts as being a flavor charge, as an aroma charge. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by Whitcomb Selinski McAuliffe PC serves all brewers in registering and protecting trademarks, navigating the label approval process, and assisting with OSHA inspections and safety compliance. Please go to WSMLawPC.com for more information. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. The District St. Paul Minneapolis February Meeting and Scholarship Drive is February 21st at Bueller in Plymouth, Minnesota. District St. Louis meets February 21st at Third Wheel Brewing. District Carolina's Winter Technical Conference is February 23rd at Old Mecklenburg Brewery in Charlotte. The 2019 California Joint Technical Conference is February 28th and March 1st in Paso Robles. 
District Northern Rockies meets in meets March 1st in Bozeman. District Philadelphia meets at Flying Fish Brewing in Somerdale, New Jersey, March 8th. District Eastern Canada meets in Montreal, March 21st. District St. Louis also meets on March 21st at Urban Chestnuts Grove location. Don't miss the Maintaining a Clean Brewery webinar March 28th. It's not too early to start making plans for the 2019 Master Brewers Conference. If you can only make it to one conference in 2019, this should be it. We're really mixing things up this time and heading to the Calgary Convention Center to see how Alberta celebrates Halloween. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Okay, well, it can't all be a bed of roses. Tell us about uh, the downsides you've experienced. Yeah, well, we talked about a little bit about our whirlpool charge, for example, and, and you know the polyphenols, and we all think these are really important, you know, and they're usually considered um, potentially haze forming, but we also know from biotransformation perspective, and we're learning, I should say, that that these are important compounds that that you're not getting, you know. So this this X, uh, sorry, this solvent of carbon dioxide does not get all the good stuff. It just gets most of the good stuff. So you're leaving some stuff behind, and that can potentially be a concern the ethanol extraction um we talked a little bit about that it does remove these poly polyphenols and we would have liked to have done more experiments on ethanol extract but unfortunately the only plant that does this commercially is in germany owned by steiner and for us to and they don't actually process pellets for so for us to actually use ethanol extraction to do a side-by-side -side evaluation we'd have to send them bales and i think you've got too many risks to send bales to germany for example to to get extracted so we actually don't have as much information about that as we'd like to learn um, but that is a potential there's some debate on this topic and it's impact quality but it's definitely worth talking about and of course money this costs more money you know if you have a 10 bu beer a 15 bu beer it's going to cost you more you're not going to yield that much more beer if any of course and you're going to have the added expense of turning it from from a, a, you know, a pellet into extract so that that costs money and that's very real and a double ipa no brainer in a an ipa yeah you should do that pale okay good idea session beers that that are mild ales for example those are those are beers that don't have enough hops to really justify the cost because you won't get ex additional yield and then of course like i mentioned before we uh, we um extract a selected hops so the selected hops that we extract takes time it takes time for us to get to the system and you have minimum quantities so those are con important consideration and drawbacks is the added cost and the added time it's going to take you to get to to get to a usable product what kind of and minimums then, are you looking at there you think well it depends a little bit on the extractor there's three primary extraction facilities in the pacific northwest and they, they they're slightly different size requirements but i would say six thousand pounds of raw hops is a minimum that they're going to want to run through the extractor and make it worth their while so above that i think it's it's pretty easy but if you're a small brewer for example and you want some you want some of your selected hops to get processed and you've got a thousand pounds on contract they're probably not going to do that most of these extractors take a minimum of two thousand pounds to fill up and a lot of them are three thousand pounds and they're going to want to typically have more than one run through that extractor now you do have some availability for of extract in some smaller 
containers, like the 150 GMA is a f- pretty common um, as far as supplied by the main processors. And those are really good options if you're a smaller brewer. But of course, those are not going to be necessarily selected. I'm sure they're really good, but there's you don't know that for sure that they're the flavor profile you're looking for. So back to the varietal impact, we've selected these because they fit a certain flavor profile that or aroma profile that we're looking for. Makes sense. By the way, have you have you ever been to that uh, extraction plant you're talking about, the one that Steiner owns? Yes, sir. It's I have. Cra- been it's there. like it's like Willy Wonka in there. It's crazy. It's like the it most, is. Yeah, it's it's one of the weirdest places in the world. I think <laughs> it, it's kind of scary. It um, is. We it had is. a really great we had a really great tour guest there too, and they did an excellent job. Um, but you know, it was it was a massive facility, and it was we realized that it was probably not going to work for us just because of the proximity, you know, and yeah. having to send them bales. Not all CO2 extracts are equal. Talk about the differences. Yeah, this is really fascinating. And I'm learning more and more about this. And I, I'm not the expert on this at all, but this is fascinating. So I, I was talking to a cannabis extractor some years ago, and he was talking about terpenes and terpene maintenance and, and how important it was to adjust the pressure of the extraction so that you maintain the integrity of the terpenes. And I thought that was really fascinating. And, and I was like, wow, you guys are really onto something. We should look at this for hops. So we have some really great partners. You mentioned Carl Van Evenhoven, of course, Haas, and there are all great people and they were willing to to, to try to figure this out. So um, we asked them to extract our selected lots at different pressures. So let me use Simcoe, for example. So we had them extract the Simcoe at a soft supercritical, they're going to call that. And that's a, a lower pressure, roughly 2200, 2500 PSI. And then we had them run at their normal extraction pressors, which is um, typically above 3000 PSI. In the case of uh, our German extractor, we have an extractor that uh, we use with Haas, and they, they do it at 4500 PSI. So these are entirely different and when you look at the the, the extracts side by side, it, it's clear they're, they're different products. But the question is, does it make beer different? So we were really excited. I was really excited to potentially learn if soft supercritical extracts of hops were going to have more of an impact to the flavor and aroma. So we did all kinds of trials side by side, high pressure and low pressure. And I was wrong. I was wrong. It is, it is not the case that the at least from a brewing perspective, that these te- these terpenes are more uh, um, apparent in the soft supercritical. As a matter of fact, I was not only was I wrong; it was the opposite. Um, and I don't have enough data to say that. And actually, Michael Visgill from Haas did some research on this specifically, which is included in this presentation. And they did look at this with data, um, but we did look at this, and and I picked out the high supercritical uh, uh, a few times. Um, but nonetheless, from a sensory perspective, they couldn't really tell a difference. So back to the, the differences, from a brewing perspective, it does not appear that these are that important on the pressure they're extracted. But I got to say, personally, anecdotally, I picked out preferred the higher pressure um, beers occasionally. And so I think that the higher pressure does extract more of the uh, varietal expression, we'll call it. And uh, and like I said before, too, the, the extractors are at these pressures, they're running these processes because it's more efficient at the higher pressures. It's faster. So all of the great partners that we have uh, at Haas and YCH, they did these projects for us at at kind of their expense because they really wanted to learn this as well too because those runs took longer for them to to process these hops for us so it was a learning experience for us um i thought we were onto something i was really excited and it turns out i was wrong um but (laughs) you learned something 
I sure did. I sure did. I learned to not worry about it anymore. Well, Michael <laughs> Michael Visgill did this specifically because we brought this up and they were doing it for us and they were great partners and nobody could tell me if it was going to be an important factor because they hadn't really looked at it like this because nobody had historically looked at these hop extracts as being a flavor charge as an aroma charge. So Michael Visgill did this uh, on his own accord and it was great to see the data and it does corroborate our data that, you know, for the most part, it has no brewing impact All right. as different pressures. But cool. th- thanks for asking that. I love talking about it. I could, I could go down a wormhole on that for sure. The sensory program at Founders reached the conclusion that hoppy beers made with extracts were preferred versus pellets. Talk about that experience. Yeah, that's, that's a bold statement, isn't it? Um, there is. Yeah, so 100% of the time, every single time, huh? Well, yeah, because we haven't done a whole lot of sensory uh, experiments. Like I said before, we don't do a lot of all pellet beers. We know we love extract. We know that the impact and the yield are all going to be improved. The quality is better. So the dozen times that we looked at this, we liked every single batch where we used extract on these hoppy beers. And I'm going to go back to, if you're making a mild ale, it probably doesn't matter. You might not notice a difference. I'm not, I'm not going to say don't use it, but you, you, you won't get the same positive benefit than if you're making an IPA or especially a double IPA. And if you're making any of those obscenely hopped beers out there, do yourself a favor and use extract and you're going to like it better. I, I, I can pretty much promise you that. Cool. Um, some brewers have reported difficulty flavor matching extract to pellets. Do you have any tips or tricks for getting the best results there? Um, well, like I said, we're lucky. We're lucky at Founders because these are our selected hops. So it is possible that the flavor match is really just on the, the, the aroma profile and the agronomics of perhaps where that hop was grown, when it was picked, for example, um, what region it was grown at. All those things really impact that whole flavor matching process. Um, you know, we love Chinook and it's kind of different here in Michigan and it's kind of different in Idaho and so on and so forth. So I'm curious to see if those folks who are having challenges flavor matching really had really just different hops that they're using um so that 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 could be a factor flavor matching for us hasn't been that challenging because from a recipe development perspective we we, we basically develop recipes with extract um our brewmaster who has been really really great partner on this is really loves extract as well so when he designs a beer um he basically uses extract in his in his original design now the first couple batches from a pilot perspective might be all pellets but as we scale it up his full intention from the beginning of designing that beer was to replace some some of those pellets with extract so i would say that if you are experiencing some flavor differences um it could be the source material it could also be um, how much you're using and it could be the design of your brew house maybe you get a really vigorous boil and you're getting more ibus out of it for example than you are with your pellets that that's a potential thing to look at as well if you have the means to evaluate your ibus you should look at those side by side if you're trying to get those ibus dialed in you you know maybe you need to add less extract to get to the same bu content from pellets all right cool you kind of already answered i was going to ask a question about um sort of the strategy for developing new recipes with extract do you have anything else to add to that Yes, I do, actually. So we, we, a lot of people are converting. And when we first looked at this and we wanted to convert, I get a lot of questions like, 
how do I know how many GMA I'm using? What's, what's, how do I use extract to replace pellets? And I, I go through some things. I even took some pictures of some bags on there. And you just got to kind of look at the whole GMA content of your pellets and just replace it with, with extract. And I would say just treat them the same. So when you're writing a recipe and you're, you're a smaller brewer or you're doing a pilot batch, in your head, you're going to use X amount of pounds or X amount of kilograms of hops. Just go ahead and transfer translate that into grams of alpha and then almost use them interchangeably. It might take a couple turns to get your BUs exactly where you want them, but they're pretty darn close. And if you take, say, you know, 20 pounds of, of uh, I'll use Simcoe as an example, you're going to put a 22-pound bag of Simcoe in a batch of beer, and you're going to use 1,390 grams of alpha. Well, at Founders, we have 700-gram cans. There's two cans right there. So that's that's how we do it. We, we actually, from recipe development, we look at them interchangeably. That was Alec Mole here on the Master Brewers Podcast. If you like what you heard today, check out the District Presentations Archive, where you can download Alec's presentation. That's under the Meetings tab on the Master Brewers website, or just type Extract into the industry's best search bar at mbaa.com. Well, I do mention it briefly already, and I would like to continue. There's a lot of smart people out there, hopefully listen to this podcast, and that I'd really like to start to see uh, evaluate the different things in the, these cans of extract that are really impactful from a flavor and aroma perspective beyond grams of alpha. I mentioned it before, but you know, if I have a thousand GMA can of of Chinook, for example, and it weighs 2.5 kilograms, and I have another thousand GMA can from a previous crop year, and it weighs two kilograms, there's different stuff in there. Even though it might only have 1,000 GMA, each can is identical. There's some different components in there that we're extracting, and whether it's oil content, essential oil, terpenes, all those things. I, I'd love to learn more about that. And I'd love brewers to who are really studious out there to experiment with some of the different oils that are in these cans and seeing what kind of impacts they have um, for, in their beers, especially from a flavor and aroma perspective. So anybody out there who wants to do some research and beyond beyond alpha did you know that master brewers now has a mobile app tq articles podcasts webinars ask the brewmasters and more all in the same place search master brewers in the app store to download it now i'm running too fast and then i bump on the ground where that can happen to everyone else to strike down and moving too fast